The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. January 24, PFT PM Podcast. What do you say? We're going to do five-down territory. I'm going to answer some questions. Moving quickly, no wasted words. I do want to say this, though. I just noticed a retweet from Michael David Smith. The AP style book. One thing to note on the Super Bowl, refer to it by the year played, not the Roman numeral. We'll refer to the Eagles-Patriots game for years to come as the 2018 Super Bowl. Okay, AP style book. Do whatever you want. The AP is irrelevant anyway. All due respect. That's stupid. Because the 2018 Super Bowl caps the 2017 season, the best way to refer to it is with Roman numerals. That's why the Roman numerals are there. One, two, three, four, five. People know exactly. You say Super Bowl eight, you know it's Vikings Dolphins. You say Super Bowl 15, you know it's Eagles Raiders. Super Bowl 25, Giants Bills. True fans know. And you know what? Google it. You try to Google 2018 Super Bowl. I don't know. It's just a lot easier. Super Bowl L-I-I. If you don't like the Roman numerals, I don't have a problem with the real number. Super Bowl 50. That's the one year they didn't do it because I guess Super Bowl L was a bad look, which was stupid. Come on, man. Come on, AP. We already know that you're irrelevant. Don't confirm it by doing things that confirm your irrelevance like this. Just don't do it. I reject the AP style book. Not that I ever would pay attention to it anyway. I reject the idea that Drew Brees automatically will be staying with the Saints first down. Drew has said multiple times he wants to stay. I think it's a test. I'm coming off the idea of Brees to the Vikings, though. Start to think the Vikings are going to stick with Teddy Bridgewater for at least a year. One of those contracts, like the one Brees signed 12 years ago with the Saints, where it's a one-year deal with a team-held option beyond that, because if he's good, you keep him. If he's not, you move on. It would be bad if Bridgewater's fine and he goes somewhere else and he ends up being the guy the Vikings thought he was going to be. That would be bad for the Vikings. Now, only they know. So if they keep him, they know he's ready to go. If they don't keep him, then that should mean he's not ready to go. So he shouldn't go somewhere else and do really well if they don't keep him. That should be the litmus test. Anyway... Mickey Loomis, the Saints GM, addressed the issue, according to the New Orleans Times-Picayune. I presume this happened at the Senior Bowl, where all the coaches and GMs currently are. We want him to be our quarterback, and we'll get going on that at some point. We'll get to it. I'm not anticipating any big issues, so we'll see. Well, I know it's a deadline-driven business, but if you want him, get to it. Right? You have no leverage. If you want him, you get to it now before his agent, Tom Condon, finds out what else is out there behind door number two or three or four, Vikings or Broncos or anyone else that would benefit from a 39-year-old franchise quarterback who could come in and take a team over the top. 
I'm convinced what's going to happen is the Saints are going to make an offer. And if it's within the same ballpark as what someone else would pay, then he stays in New Orleans. If there's a dramatic gap, and I don't know what the number is, but there's a number out there. There's a gulf wide enough that Drew Brees says, sorry, New Orleans, I wanted to stay, but how can I take X million less to stay? Look, we love him, Loomis said. The impact he's had on our team, our organization, our city is hard to measure. Nothing surprises me that he does. I'm excited about it. It's beyond the numbers. It's the leadership. He's the face of our organization. He's embraced being identified with New Orleans and all those things that are good for our community and him as well. Correct. You still have to pay him. That door swings both ways. Teams have tried in the past to lowball a guy that they think is not going to leave. Remember when the Vikings did it with Matt Burke? They lowballed him. Grew up in the Twin Cities, only had played for the Vikings, had 28 kids. I'm exaggerating by a few. No way he's not going to stay. No way he's going to tell us to ram it. No way he's going to go to another team at this stage of his career. And he did, because the Vikings lowballed him. Breeze has always driven a hard bargain. I think this is the test, and I think this is the way that he reconciles it with himself. I don't want to leave New Orleans. I've made it clear I don't want to leave. Now it's up to them to understand that they need to compensate me accordingly. And the challenge for the Saints is he counts $18 million right off the bat, whether he's on the team or not. There's $18 million in cap charges attributable to Breeze that they just have to deal with. They have to accept the fact that their salary cap for next year is $18 million lower than anyone else's because of past contracts paid to Drew Breeze. And that shouldn't count at all. When the time comes to put together a contract for Drew Brees. Shouldn't matter at all. They should never bring it up. Well, you know, Drew, we have to carry $18 million that we previously paid you. Hey, that's your problem. It's not my job to manage your salary cap. It's yours. My job is to do the right deal for me and my family. And you're making it very easy for me by offering me X million less than Team Y is willing to pay. Until he signs, I'm going to continue to be fascinated by what may happen. I continue to believe he will end up staying with the Saints, but the door remains open just a bit, maybe a little bit more than a bit. Maybe with each passing day, it's a little more open. Let's see if they get it done. If they really want him, they'll get it done. If the Steelers really want Le'Veon Bell, they'll get it done. Second down. Bell acknowledges that He's closer to a deal now than he was last year with the Steelers. That tells me the Steelers have decided to take the Antonio Brown approach this year with Le'Veon Bell. Saying, look, we want to get this deal done before X, before an arbitrary artificial date. For Brown, it was before the start of the new league year. I think for Bell, it's before they have to decide whether or not to apply the franchise tag. And I'm disappointed that Bell's attitude isn't that's your deadline. That ain't mine. I want to wait and see if you apply the tag. We'll talk after the deadline for applying the tag. If you apply it, $14.51 million is the starting point. That's the franchise tender. $14.56, rather. Got to get that extra fifty grand in there. And if you don't apply it, then it's a different conversation. Then it's my real market value. Because I'm going to find out what my market value is. I'm going to find out what a team like the 49ers would pay for me. 
I'm going to find out with some other team out there. The Seahawks. Oh, boy. Wouldn't the Seahawks love to have Le'Veon Bell? As they retool their offense? They look for a running back who can stay healthy? Bell takes a pounding. He can stay healthy. Any team that wants him. And what does it take from the Steelers to get Bell to give up the opportunity to either make $14.56 million this year and definitely hit the market next year because they're not going to pay him quarterback money or hit the market this year? What does it take? The Steelers like to dictate terms to its players. That's how they do things. They have these, well, we don't talk contracts once the season starts. Well, we, we don't guarantee money beyond the first year of the deal. Fine. I don't negotiate a contract until I know whether or not you've applied the franchise tag. There's only one way to find out once the window closes. Well, if you do that, we're not going to sign you. Okay, bye. Too many players allow the Steelers to have a mental hold over them. How many Super Bowls have they won in the last 10 years? It's not the Patriots. Oh, 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 I know. Steelers fans getting getting upset. This is a for-profit enterprise for everyone involved. And I advocate the players acting with the same sense of business acumen that the owners and everyone else applies. Get yourself paid, especially if you're a running back. You're a running back. You never know when it's going to be over. Get yourself paid. Don't blink. Don't kneel. Don't do what they want you to do. You have leverage, use it. Third down, Kirk Cousins. Man, I, I'm so sick of hearing about what Jay Gruden thinks and what he wants, and we got to do a long-term deal. we got a one-year thing. Look, look, here's what it comes down to. Washington blew this back in 2015. Once they knew that Cousins was the guy and RG3 wasn't, that's when they should have gotten him signed, but they were stubborn. They didn't want to pay Cousins what he should have gotten with the franchise tag as the driving force. So Cousins became self-aware. You know, for all the hatred that the NFL has toward Colin Kaepernick for making the robots self-aware regarding their right to kneel during the national anthem, the NFL should hate Washington for making the robots become self-aware on the value of going year to year under the franchise tag. 19.95, 23.94, and now 34.47 for Kirk Cousins. And Washington put themselves in this situation. And my point now is that Washington should just make it clear, Kirk, we're not using the franchise tag. You're not worth $34.47 million. There are plenty of other quarterbacks we could sign who would not take us to the playoffs. Dollar for dollar, we'll go with Colt McCoy. Dollar for dollar, we'll draft somebody. Dollar for dollar, we'll take our chances with someone else because you're not a $34 million quarterback. Now, his leverage dictates it. Good luck signing to a long-term contract without it. I think their best play, don't apply it and then try to negotiate a contract. The problem is because they've completely mishandled and bungled the situation in prior years, Cousins is going to be salty and he's going to take all things equal. He's going to take somebody else's deal. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he accept the show of faith and belief and confidence that a team he's never played for would be demonstrating by offering him a major long-term deal. All things equal. Why would he not take that deal over whatever Washington offers? Because Washington's only doing it because they're finally backed into a corner.
I would need more money to stay if I were Kirk Cousins. Now, this is a tough one for me to properly navigate because on one hand, I'm saying Kirk Cousins isn't worth $34.47 million. On the other hand, I'm saying if I'm Cousins, I'm telling Washington, you had your chance multiple times to sign me and you chose not to. I don't want you to sign me because you have to. I don't want you to extend an offer that is equal to what I can get somewhere else. I don't want someone else negotiating the long-term deal you should have previously given me, so I want more from you. Otherwise, I will leave. That was third down, by the way. On to fourth down. I was fascinated by the news out of New York State as it relates to the legalization of gambling. And, And this is a sign of what happens if the pending litigation before the U.S. Supreme Court results in a finding that existing federal law must be overturned, the federal law that prohibits states from deciding one at a time whether or not to engage in sports wagering. If that happens, it's going to be the wild, wild west. It's going to be each each state coming up with its own rules. NBA attorney Dan Spillane testified before the New York State Senate that sports gambling should be legalized in the state and that the NBA should get 1% of every bet made on its games. Now, if gambling becomes legalized by a process that starts with the U.S. Supreme Court and continues one state at a time, the NBA, the NFL, every other sport is going to have to engage in this kind of lobbying effort in all of the various states. That's why what the NFL and the other sports really want is a federal law to be passed where they only have to deal with one government. You create a law from the get-go that sets forth the parameters for nationwide betting if states choose to do it. Now, maybe if this federal law gets overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, then there's a lobbying effort for a federal law that would provide regulation. But here's the thing. If this law gets overturned, the message is going to be, hey, federal government, you can't tell the states what to do with gambling anyway. You can't tell them what to do. You can't create some template that says how much money that the the providers of the sport on which the wagering is happening get a piece of the action. But now we see why the NFL wants gambling. Now we see why the NBA wants gambling. Because they want to get a piece of of the billions of dollars that currently are illegally changing hands. They see a way to turn their enterprises into even bigger operations. A billion-dollar business becomes a trillion-dollar business. Between the NFL's obsession with proliferating its product overseas and getting a piece of the gambling pie, the NFL becomes a much bigger deal. And the NBA becomes a much bigger deal because it ends up with more money. And with more money, it can invest in marketing. And it can flex its muscles. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's where this is all going. But it's going to be a much more challenging task if they have to go state by state. And you get 1% in New York. You get 0.5% in Connecticut. You get 1.2% in Virginia. You get 0.1% in Florida. Whatever it may be. You have to launch this exhaustive effort to get your cut 
See, I thought previously the NFL would get its cut by facilitating bets through its properties. NFL.com, team websites, Twitter accounts, whatever. Any type of connection that a fan has to the team digitally, you press a button, you place a bet. I still think that's coming. I mean, if you had told me 20 years ago you could scalp tickets through digital portals owned and operated by the various teams with the press of a button, I'd say, get the hell out of here. What's a digital portal? First of all. Second of all, there's no way they're going to legalize scalping. It's legal. And it happened just kind of like, meh. And that's what's going to happen with gambling. Meh. Gambling's legal. Eh. People gamble anyway. Anybody who wants to gamble, gambles. So keep an eye on that. The NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, they're all coming around to the idea of gambling. And th- there were some fascinating discussions last year about gambling where, like, you can go to a baseball game and you can place bets from your seat on whether the next pitch is going to be a ball or a strike. And baseball is actually less troubled by that because it happens so immediately and it happens in real time. It's incorruptible. Completely incorruptible. Football could do similar things. Will the next pass be completed or incomplete? Will the next play be a run or a pass? Will the next play go for more or less than five yards? What are the odds of the next play being a first down? How many plays to the next touchdown? The possibilities are limitless. And so is the potential for earnings for the NFL. Once you cross the bridge as to the morality of wagering money, and that bridge got crossed back, I don't know, years ago when they started with the, the daily pick three and scratch off. T- I mean, it's a slow growth. And it's going to get to the point where the, the, the American government and the various state governments are no longer going to put barriers on the ability of people to piss away their money if they so choose, even if they don't have the money to piss away. And if it renders them indigent, and dependent on the state for welfare services, well, the state's going to get their cut from gambling as well. So that'll cover the people who end up with nothing. But that's where this is going. It's just a matter of when, especially with that Supreme Court case pending. Because if if that case results in New Jersey winning and the floodgates opening for legalized gambling, you're going to see more and more stories regarding the efforts of sports leagues to get a piece of the pie in every state where that pie is going to get cooked. And it's going to get cooked in more and more states. It may take a while, but it's just like casinos. Especially when you have states that have multiple states on the borders. Because if one state does it and it starts drawing in citizens from the other state, like, what the hell are we doing? We're losing our citizens to the other state where they can go do things they can't legally do here. We better do it ourselves. And that's what fuels it. And that's what will fuel fuel it if and when it happens, and I say when it happens. When there's the next NFL concussion protocol controversy, we're on to fifth down. The NFL wants us all to essentially sit down and shut up because we're not doctors. Armchair doctors should should shut up. It's irresponsible to offer opinions on the things you see with your eyes. You can't trust your eyes. When you see a guy falling to the ground, you can't trust your eyes. When you see a guy who, who seems to be in some sort of distress, how dare you trust your eyes? How dare you suggest 
that that person may need a full-blown concussion evaluation. Here's how we got to this point. Because what the NFL does with its concussion protocol, it tweaks it case by case. It allows the rare exceptions to dictate the rules. So after the Tom Savage situation, where he was in the fencing posture, where he appeared to be on the front end of a seizure, the NFL decided to make it clear that there would never be a situation like that in the future. So the NFL passed a a new rule that requires a locker room concussion evaluation when a player demonstrates gross or sustained vertical instability For example, stumbling or falling to the ground when trying to stand. So, here comes Cam Newton in that wild card game against the Saints. He takes a hit to the head. He didn't jump up immediately. The statement that the NFL issued on Wednesday, which had a broader message of sit down and shut up and don't try to tell us what is and isn't a concussion. He didn't get up immediately. And as he was walking to the sidelines, he went down to two knees, he sat down, and he kind of squinted with one eye, squinted with the other eye, and he got a concussion evaluation in the pup tent on the sideline. And they determined he was okay quickly, and he was back in the game. And they're sensitive to the criticism that came from people like us at ProFootballTalk.com who said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The guy's walking to the sideline. He goes down to the ground. He demonstrates, what's that word again? Gross or sustained vertical instability. For example, stumbling or falling to the ground when trying to stand. I think that applies to stumbling to the ground when walking to the sidelines. We see it. We react to it. Hey, NFL, didn't you just issue a new rule while cleaning up the mess from the Tom Savage inexplicable failure to get him out of the game, to let him keep playing? Your effort to clean up that mess created this new twist, and now you have a guy who stumbles to the ground while he's walking to the sideline, and we're not supposed to say, maybe he should have gotten a locker room evaluation? The NFL's had enough of people criticizing its efforts when it comes to the proper evaluation of concussions. That statement they issued on Wednesday, I was surprised. Even as the NFL goes, I was surprised by the defiance and the stridence. And I also think there's some inaccuracies in the way that this statement is constructed. The thing that really got me, though, was the last paragraph. We urge restraint among those who attempt to make medical diagnoses based upon the broadcast video alone. Evaluation for a concussion requires not only an analysis of the broadcast video, but an examination performed by a medical team familiar with the player and the relevant medical history. Review of this case confirmed, again, the vigilance, professionalism, and conservative approach that is used by our NFL team medical staffs and independent medical providers. Each of these medical professionals is committed to the best care of our NFL players and is not influenced by the game situation or the player's role on the field. To suggest otherwise is irresponsible and not supported by the medical facts. Baloney. That paragraph comes from, I think, a clear desire to not have to deal with people like me saying, hey, you know what? Nobody wants to be the one who's responsible for sending Cam Newton to the locker room for 15 minutes of real time during crunch time of a playoff game. Nobody wants to be the one who ultimately gets accused of being overly cautious. 
when the player who is sent away for a full locker room evaluation ends up not having a concussion. And they're sensitive now to the perception that they're sensitive to not putting a guy in the locker room for 15 minutes during crunch time of game. But look, that's obvious. I wish they would just admit it. There are times in the game where all the things we say about health and safety have to kind of take a back seat because the last thing we want, well, really, the last thing they should want is a guy who has a concussion sustaining a second concussion and having a serious health outcome up to and including death on the field. That's the last thing they should want. But they'll take that risk because they don't want someone who wasn't concussed at all to be unavailable to help his team win, to have Derek Anderson instead of Cam Newton, to have Brian Hoyer instead of Tom Brady as the Super Bowl approaches. I think one of the reasons that, you know, some of these concussion studies, they linger and they linger and they linger. When when they know they're wrong, like with Russell Wilson, it lingers and it lingers and it lingers. This one took a couple of weeks because they want to make sure they make a broad, clear statement before the Super Bowl because they don't want any of us smart asses in the media if somebody looks wobbly saying, hey, that guy needs a concussion evaluation in the locker room. This is the we know better than you. Please sit down and shut up. How dare you? How dare you question us? Well, you can't have it both ways, NFL. You can't. You can't stand up and say that you promote player health and safety in all instances. And then not promote player health and safety in all instances and chastise anyone who would dare say, I don't think they're properly promoting player health and safety. Let me go back to this paragraph. First of all, it's misleading. We urge restraint among those who attempt to make medical diagnoses based upon the broadcast video alone. Nobody's trying to diagnose a concussion. What we're saying is this is a guy who should be diagnosed either with or without a concussion. This is a guy who requires an evaluation of a concussion. We're not trying to diagnose when someone says, hey, oh, mm, mm, maybe time for a concussion evaluation. We're not saying he has a concussion. We're saying that the procedures the NFL has put in place to spot a concussion should be activated based upon what our eyes are telling us. And how many times have the eyes who are in place being paid by the NFL to monitor these games missed it? There are countless examples of these professionals that we're now supposed to defer to at all times because they know and we don't, them screwing up. And, you know, one of the facts that gets pushed out there, well, we had 5,000 concussion evaluations this year. I don't care how many you get right. What matters is the ones you get wrong. Because you know how many you should get wrong? Zero. There should never be an instance when people watching the game at home are saying, holy crap, that guy's still in the game? You know it when you see it. Case Keenum was in distress when he played for the Rams against the Ravens a couple of years ago. They didn't get him off the field. And the NFL's in a tough spot here because the NFL does not want to have to stand up and tell the world that in key moments when it's time to protect all players, not the ones who self-report, not the ones who are obviously concussed. I mean, there was no way Rob Gronkowski was staying in the game after the way that he acted when he took that illegal hit from Barry Church. There's no way Travis Kelsey was staying in the game when he took that hit against the Titans in the wild card round. There's that small number of cases that land in the margin where the guy isn't obviously messed up, but there's enough there that allows us to say something's not right. And there's, there's also some cases where the guy is messed up and they just miss it. Tom Savage, they missed it. Russell Wilson, he escaped 
when he was sent to the sideline for a concussion evaluation. He escaped before he even got how many fingers? I don't know what they do. I look, the baseline concussion evaluation in the medical pup tent, it's more detailed than how many fingers, but it's a lot closer to how many fingers than let's go to the locker room and let's take our time and make sure you're okay. And this entire problem, I think the reason the NFL is salty about this is because they went too far in reacting to Tom Savage. They created a standard that they now don't want to apply. I mean, they don't even quote the standard when they defend why Cam Newton wasn't taken to the locker room. This is one of the bullet points. They've got bullet points and then bullet points within bullet points. Mr. Newton did not display gross motor instability, which would have necessitated a locker room evaluation in the concussion protocol. That's not what the new rule says. The new rule doesn't say gross motor instability. The new rule says that a locker room evaluation is required, quote, for all players demonstrating gross or sustained vertical instability, for example, stumbling or falling to the ground when trying to stand, end quote. Gross motor instability isn't in the press release that was issued just a couple of weeks ago as they tried to mop up the mess that they created by allowing Tom Savage to play after he was on the ground beginning to tremble like he was having a seizure. I mean, I, I can't, I, look, I understand there's a strong PR component and I understand that the NFL has chosen, at least for now, I don't know where they're going to go as they fill this job of top spokesperson. I don't, I don't know if they're going to hire another person from the political world where this is how the game is played. It's not about what's right and wrong. It's about how we can convince people that we're right and you're wrong. But, but think about this. They create a hideous, awful mess with Tom Savage. And in cleaning it up, they create a new standard that should be a bright line. A locker room evaluation for all players demonstrating gross or sustained vertical instability, e.g. stumbling or falling to the ground when trying to stand. You've got a guy who takes a knee as he's approaching the sideline, and how dare we suggest that the new standard they created by cleaning up the Tom Savage mess shouldn't apply or should apply or does apply. We don't know. We're not equipped to make a medical diagnosis. I'm not trying to make a medical diagnosis. It's not a medical diagnosis. I'm not saying the guy has a concussion. I'm saying there's enough there to justify a locker room evaluation based upon the league's own standard. And, and I also get a kick out of how, in this statement that they issued, the league makes it clear that Cam Newton went down because he was told to go down. He did so at the direction of, of multiple members of the Panthers' sideline coaching and medical staff. Coach Rivera told the parties conducting this review that he instructed the quarterback coach to tell Mr. Newton to take a knee if he required medical treatment. They never say why Newton was told that. He was told that because he was told to embellish his injury, whatever his injury was, so they could get Derek Anderson ready to play. They never mention this. They never mention it. This is no different than a defensive player faking an injury to slow down a no-huddle offense. You're doing it for strategic reasons. You're pretending to be more injured than you are, or not injured at all, to buy time. Now, Newton had something wrong with him, whatever it was. I can't diagnose it. I'm not going to try to diagnose it. I'm not a doctor, and I wasn't giving him direct medical treatment. But I know when the guy goes to the ground as he's walking off the field, something's not right. And at least they should admit, the NFL should come out and say why he was told to take a knee. Because if they don't say why, it makes it look even more fishy. Like if you don't understand the, the strategic benefit to giving the quarterback who's coming into the game more time to get ready, you just look at it and say, well, that's their excuse? 
he was why would he why would you take a knee and get medical treatment on the field when you've got the sideline right here and they have a table he can sit on they've got the medical tent why don't you tell him to just walk three more feet that's why they did it but see it's this big tangled mess and then there's this knee injury this I don't buy the knee injury look I've said enough about this I I, I just I, I don't like the feeling that I'm being condescended to and I don't like the feeling that I'm being lied to and I don't like having to play a shell game it's exhausting life's hard enough without having to chase people around and prove that they're full of crap and can't, can't we just be honest about certain things? And, and I, don't, I don't like having somebody wag a finger in my face and say, you're not qualified. Whether it's Dr. Alan Sills, whether it's Joe Lockhart, who had a quote to Adam Schefter, who passes his stuff along without any analysis or scrutiny whatsoever, because, you know, got to get my five-minute heads up on all the big stuff. I, it's just tiring. You know, and here's the thing. When a player suffers a concussion the second time because he was allowed to stay in a game because of the first concussion, because the net wasn't broad enough to get him off the field, I don't want to hear the NFL talk about how this was an isolated incident and there was no way we could have prevented it and we did everything we can and it's an act of God and all this other crap. They're consciously choosing the slim chance of something that happens, I don't know, a couple times a year or more often for high school players where you have serious injuries or death, they're accepting that possibility because they don't want to be as cautious as they need to be because that creates a negative impact on the game. And that's one of the biggest problems with that paragraph I read earlier. They act like they're not influenced by game situations and game consequences. They are. All right, let me answer a few questions. It's just very depressing when... People try so hard to obscure the truth. And they do it in such a way where it's so obvious that they're doing what they're doing. And they try to make you feel bad. That they go on the offensive to try to make you feel bad for having the audacity to point out the flaws in what should be one of the most important functions of the NFL to protect its players at all times from potentially serious health outcomes. All right, time to answer some questions. At Steve Gallo, NFL, how can I make my bronchitis take a hike? Hey, Steve, join the club. I've had like a rattling cough for a week now. I guess you just suck it up. I don't know. Hope for it to go away. At Jason Schender, what's the need for the game official to take a look at the Surface tablet during replay review if the ruling is ultimately coming from New York? Is it just more airtime for Microsoft, or is there a legitimate purpose? Look... This is the bad day for me to be trying to give the NFL the benefit of the doubt on the things it does. This is product placement for Microsoft. The referee is a useless appendage in that setting. It's all done to make it look like there's involvement by the referee. Ultimately, the call is being made by New York. And the call was being made by New York last year. And a couple of years before that. When you're consulting with your boss on what you should do, what your boss suggests is what you're going to do. At least they got rid of that facade. But yeah, it's product placement 
for the Microsoft Surface, that brilliant blue and a brilliant business move by Microsoft. Everybody knows about the Microsoft Surface now. At GoHead287, the chances the Chargers draft a quarterback in the first round. Hey, look, the question becomes, do you want to add a talented player to help Phillip Rivers get to a Super Bowl? Or do you want to add a talented player who will be groomed to take over for him? Rivers said, I had him on PFT Live during the season at a time when Russell Wilson joined the I'm playing until I'm 45 parade. Rivers said, I ain't playing that long. I'm going to be coaching my son's high school football team when I'm 45. I'm not going to be wearing a helmet. So you got to be ready. That's the great challenge for any team that has a franchise quarterback who is getting close to the end. When do you invest resources in replacing him? And how will he react? There was talk about them, I think, being interested in Deshaun Watson last year, if I recall correctly. I think Sims is pushing that one. And Phillip Rivers said, no, we're not doing that. First of all, they shouldn't listen to Phillip Rivers. Quarterback's job is to play quarterback. I mean, Tom Brady probably wasn't happy when they used a second-round pick on Jimmy Garoppolo. You could be using that pick on a guy who helps me win more games, not on a guy who's going to hover over my shoulder. So I think that it's always a possibility. They used the fourth overall pick to get Phillip Rivers. Well, they used the first overall pick to get Eli Manning. They traded it for the guy who was taken fourth overall in 2004 when they had Drew Brees on the team. So they'll do what they have to do when they think it's time for them to get another quarterback ready. At Adero 7, are the Broncos going to be able to convince top free agents like Kirk Cousins that the team can win now? What does your gut tell you about the quarterback direction for the Broncos draft or free agency? I think they need a veteran who comes in and leads the team the way that Peyton Manning did, that holds people accountable, that pulls everyone together. I've said that several times now. This is the very short version of it because I feel a little salty about all that Cam Newton concussion stuff. So I'm going to be a little more, what's the word, clipped in my responses today, I guess. Get a guy who comes in and leads the team. Go after Drew Brees. I'd go after Brees before Cousins. I'm not sold on Cousins. How do you call a guy a franchise quarterback who's been to the playoffs once and lost at home? How do you call a guy a franchise quarterback who lost at home in the regular season to Case Keenum? And I know, look, the help around him is a factor. But I I just, between Brees and Cousins, give me Brees. Especially because you need a guy who can come in and take over the team. And I don't know that Cousins can do that. At Curtis Fingers, better head coach, Josh McDaniels, version 2.0, or Matt Patricia? That's a good question. And typically when someone says that's a good question, that means they don't know the answer. That's what makes it a good question. You've stumped me. I have to think about it. So I have to fill the gap. So I'm going to say that's a good question because I don't know what else to say. I don't know. Because here's the thing. There's a difference between being a great head coach and having a great team to coach. I mean, I think Matt Patricia is in a good spot with Matthew Stafford if they have the right leadership of the offense and if they have the right ability to add the players they need. The Colts need to add a lot of players to be competitive, and all of a sudden that AFC South is going to be a very competitive division. But I would say that McDaniels may be the better head coach because McDaniels is from the side of the ball that isn't Bill Belichick's expertise. Although I'd like to think at this point in his career, he's an expert on both sides of the ball. And I never was a big fan of this idea that you're only an expert on defense or offense. I think if you if you know defense extremely well, you also know offense because you know what it takes to beat a defense. And if you know offense really well, you should know defense. And I think Belichick knows everything. But I think because he was a defensive guy, I think it's it's 
it's easier for Patricia to look like a great coach when he's working with Belichick. Although, there are some who say Patricia is actually even smarter than Belichick. So, we'll see. How's that for a non-answer? We'll see. At Paul Fitz, Doss, Doss, when Ken Norton left the 49ers to become the defensive coordinator of the Seahawks, I read the 49ers didn't have to let him go. Is it just professional courtesy to let a guy take a promotion? Or does it also have an ancillary benefit of making a position on your staff more desirable? Well, here's the thing. I don't know that it makes it more desirable to let Ken Norton go for a promotion that they didn't have to let him take. He had just arrived. It doesn't look a posi- It doesn't make it look more desirable. You're not sprouting this tree of, uh, of assistant coaches. I, I think that they just decided, you know what? what, what do we, they're doing the right thing. They did the right thing. And there are plenty of teams that would say, too bad you signed a contract. That's no way to run a business. The, the fact that they let Norton go to take a better job with a division rival, th- that tells me that the 49ers have finally figured out how to properly run their football team. Now, will they pay for it when they face the Seahawks? I don't know. But why do you want to keep a guy around who doesn't want to be there? That's no way to run your team. He's going to be resentful. He's going to grumble. He's going to complain. You want people who want to be there, and you want people who are happy. And you want to have the confidence that if someone does leave, you can find someone else to come in and do the same job who wants to be there. All things equal, I want the guy who wants to be there versus the guy who really doesn't want to be there and who's going to be pissed off because he didn't get a chance to go where he wants to be. At Sergio D, what's the story with Jim Schwartz? Has his hot-headedness in Detroit cost him, or is the fact that the Eagles are still playing that cost him an opportunity? Surely teams that have hired defensive-minded coaches would have been better off with Schwartz. Well, look, his one-loss record in Detroit wasn't stellar, but it was 2-14 and the first year that he was mopping up after 0-16. The Giants, and, and there were multiple reports. ESPN had it, we had it, that Jim Schwartz was the early leader. Ernie Accorsi was behind Schwartz. Accorsi, the guy who hired Dave Gettleman. That Schwartz was going to be a candidate. And then they didn't request permission to interview Schwartz during the first bye week. Then they did on Wednesday. Then they didn't interview him. And Jim Schwartz versus Pat Shermer on Sunday. How'd that go for the future Giants coach, for the new Giants coach? I don't get it, but good for the Eagles. None of their guys are getting plucked away. Now, John Filippo may still leave because his contract's up, but I don't know what the story is. And, and the, the best explanation I heard is that the Giants were upset that the word got out that Schwartz was a leading candidate for the job because they blamed it on Schwartz, even though it wasn't necessarily Schwartz who was putting the word out there, which makes it possible that somebody, knowing that it would torpedo Schwartz's candidacy, leaked it. Isn't that some next-level stuff? You know how the Giants are going to react if it comes out that Schwartz is a leading candidate, so you put it out there so they think Schwartz did it, so they're not interested in him. I'm not commenting any further on who my sources were or weren't for the characterization of Schwartz as a leading candidate for the job. But something caused the Giants to not pursue him. And based upon what I saw Sunday night between Pat Shermer and Jim Schwartz, I'm going to be inclined to at least, at least kick the tires on Jim Schwartz before I make a final decision on Pat Shermer. The problem is the Giants had already made the decision. They weren't going to go back on it. Once you give someone's agent, because there aren't many agents who run the coaching industry, there's a small handful of them. Once you piss one of those guys off, 
Once you renege on a deal, a wink nod deal with one of those guys, good luck hiring any of that guy's other clients in the future. At Dominate FF, what non-playoff team has the best chance of turning things around from a poor season in 2018? I'd say the Packers. That's easy. It's the Packers because they'll have Aaron Rodgers back unless the Vikings break his collarbone again. At Sergio D, with a new GM in place and a change in attitude regarding free agents, if you were Green Bay, would you be giving Des Bryant a call? Rodgers won't be afraid to give him the chance to jump at a 50-50 ball. Look, it I, depends on what I'd have to pay to get him, right? They have Jordy Nelson. They paid Devontae Adams. They have Randall Cobb. Feels like one of those two guys is going to be gone. And th- this is the last thing the Packers do. Just because they have a new GM, I'll believe it when I see it that the Packers are going to go out there and start bringing in free agents. And what what was their most recent acquisition? A somewhat temperamental pass catcher. And how did that go? Yeah, I don't think you want Des Bryant's attitude in Green Bay. I don't think it fits with what the Packers do. And the last thing you want is a guy like Des Bryant who may have any problem whatsoever with whether and to what extent Aaron Rodgers is throwing the football. I don't think the Packers would ever take a look at him. I think someone will be interested once the Cowboys tell Des Bryant how much they're going to pay him below $12.5 million because that's coming. The question is, does he tell the Cowboys to cram it and go somewhere else? I don't think Green Bay is the somewhere else where he goes. At Mo Moten, what's the current status of Andrew Luck? Is he expected to start week one of the 2018 season? Yes, he is, but he was expected to start week one of 2017. I think with Andrew Luck... Given all the mixed messages that we got last year and all the inconsistencies and and just the issues with that shoulder recovering, I'm not going to believe he's back until he's back. Now, Josh McDaniels apparently isn't concerned, but he's not back until he's back. And when he's back, you better have a plan for keeping the guy healthy. You got to improve your offensive line and you got to convince this guy to not take hits. He's big, he's strong, and he thinks... He's indestructible. I'd like to think he's smart enough to have figured it out. And having a guy like Josh McDaniels who coached Tom Brady, I think McDaniels can can show Andrew Luck a ton of Tom Brady in the pocket film and Luck will realize that his interests are far better served by finding ways to avoid taking those hits. Those hits. And then the question is, can he learn it? It's clearly not instinctive. Can he learn it? Because there's no reason to think he's going to come back and suddenly not take hits. Can he stay healthy moving forward? That's my big question. At the Impact 99, do you have any fashion or style tips based upon your everyday apparel? Have you seen my everyday apparel? You just answered your own question. At Thomas J. Gunther, why do you think it is that teams are scared of trading away a mid to late round pick for a proven player, but almost nonchalant about throwing first rounders and trade-ups for rookie quarterbacks? Well, because you either have a franchise quarterback or you don't. And there's only one reliable place to find a franchise quarterback, and that's at the top of the draft. Yeah, there's going to be a Russell Wilson every once in a while, a Dak Prescott every few years, a Tom Brady once in a dozen lifetimes. But your best bet to getting a franchise quarterback is making the move. We saw it with the Eagles and Carson Wentz. We saw it with the Rams and Jared Goff. We saw it with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes if he becomes who they think he's going to be, and I think he will. We saw it with the Texans and Deshaun Watson. Yes, young quarterbacks get overdrafted. Yes, the trend is now trade up to get the quarterback. But once you have the quarterback, you've gone a long way towards solving a lot of your problems. And you've guaranteed you're going to be relevant for years to come. 
At the Impact 99, if you were trying to evolve your small media operation, how would you accomplish said evolution? Who says it's a small media operation? Hey, the Impact 99, I'm starting to get a little irritated with your questions. I used to like your, your spunk. I used to like the twinkle in your eye. Now I think you're throwing shade. Here's another question from the Impact 99. What's your favorite football movie? What is my favorite football movie? That's a good question. Again, I'm buying time. I like the original Longest Yard. I like it better than the second Longest Yard, which is already pretty old. It's so old, they may be making the Longest Yard again before too long. I like Remember the Titans. I really like Remember the Titans. I like Rudy a lot. Rudy's a pretty good football movie. Gus is a football movie, right? It's easier to identify the ones I hate. Draft Day and Leatherheads. Two worst football movies ever made, by far. I think Leatherheads was even worse. Although Draft Day was a horribly unrealistic infomercial for the NFL. I hope they learned their lesson with that. I hope they don't get in the, let's make a movie to convince more people to be NFL fans. That was just a bad movie. A horrible movie. At Terry against the 14, will it be more difficult for the Eagles front office and coaching staff to get started with the offseason since they haven't had to deal with actually playing games this late? Look, that's one of the, that's one of the prices you have to pay for being good. It's a good problem to have. It puts you behind the curve a little bit. The front office is still doing its thing. There isn't much polishing of the roster that Howie Roseman and company need to do over the next two weeks. This is more about ensuring that your players get rest. Remember a couple of years ago, Ron Rivera started the offseason program later because his players played so long into the season. But this is part of what you do. And does it ever affect the Patriots when they play into February? Is it ever even an issue for them? They climb to the top of the mountain. Win or lose, they go back to the Valley of Zero and Zero and they do it again. I mean, the Seahawks are still having a hangover from the outcome in the Super Bowl three years ago. Did it ever affect the Patriots when they lost to the Giants? No. At Darren Mova, do you think Gruden will have an immediate impact in Oakland or how many years until they make a playoff run? I think they'll make a playoff run next year. I think he's the most likely of the new head coaches to take his team to the playoffs next year. I think he's going to have the same impact that he had in Tampa. I don't know that it carries him to a Super Bowl but he's going to be a kick in the ass that that team needs. Now, after year two, year three, year four, year five, it may get a little old, but this year, I think it's going to have a huge impact. At Sham God, isn't it plausible the Texans signed one of the Vikings quarterbacks or Tyrod Taylor to fill the gap in the event Deshaun isn't ready at the start of 2018? I think he'll be ready, but I think they do need to have a competent backup. One thing that I think we've learned this year, people try to say, well, when you look at the final four teams, it's proof that you don't need a franchise quarterback? No. It's proof that you better have a damn good backup. And the problem is there aren't enough quarterbacks to go around to fill out the starting lineup of the 32 teams. If you have two, you're ahead of the game. If you have th three like the Vikings had, you're really ahead of the game. The only problem is they're all free agents at the same time. So I think the Texans need a quality backup, not Tom Savage, but they'll find somebody to come in. And part of the lure will be, hey, maybe I get a chance to play if Deshaun Watson can't. And ideally, you want a backup who has the same playing style, so it's not a dramatic change when you go from one to the next. You know, like Colin Kaepernick behind Deshaun Watson. That makes more sense than Tom Savage. At EdArm55, do you see the NFL ever eliminating the Pro Bowl as a whole? Do you see them converting it to a 7-on-7 seven -seven format, making it like the NHL All-Star game? Now, I, I don't see them getting rid of it. They'll huff and puff about it from time to time. It's not what it used to be. Because there's no reason for the players to go all out. You're healthy enough to suit up for one more game that doesn't mean anything, and you're going to go out there and get yourself injured. Look what happened to Tyler Eifert. Has he been the same since his Pro Bowl injury? But, you know, here's the thing. So many of these guys are still 
young enough and naive enough to think the bad thing isn't going to happen to them. Plenty of these guys are thinking along the lines of business decisions, but I, I think that, that still, they, they want to bask in the great season they had, and they're willing to roll the dice. And I think it's a mistake, especially if you're in the last game of a contract. I think it's a big mistake to go and put yourself in harm's way for one more game that doesn't matter. You're not getting paid enough to justify it. I think it's a mistake. You get a limited time off. Do you really want to spend that time rehabbing from surgery and going through pain unnecessarily if you're healthy enough to play one more game? At Terry Gensler 14, John Dorsey said today on SiriusXM that Todd Haley will be calling plays. Is this a slow-moving process of phasing Hugh out completely and the real steps to success being after 2018 without Hugh Jackson? I don't know that that's the case. But I still want to know, was it Hugh Jackson's idea to hire Todd Haley and to let him call the plays? I feel like somebody above Hugh Jackson said, hey, you're hiring an offensive coordinator and that guy's calling the plays and you're going to be the head coach. And if Hugh Jackson had any resistance to that, he was quickly told, Hugh, you were 0-16 last year and 1-15 the year before that. You're not calling the plays anymore. Period. The problem is, and where I see the... Look, I'm trying to be nice to the Browns here. I like what they're doing generally, but I don't know that Todd Hale and Hugh Jackson are going to get along. Now, they're going to do everything they can from a PR standpoint to create the impression they're getting along. I don't think it's going to work. I think that Haley has had issues getting along with people in the past. I think Jackson has had issues that, that don't get publicized as much. He's got friends in the media who cover for him. But I, I think that that when things went sideways last year for the Browns, he made it his top agenda to make sure it all gets blamed on the front office, on Sashi Brown and not him. And he won. So when they hit adversity this year, you're going to have Hugh Jackson blaming it on Haley. You're going to have Haley bl- blaming it on Hugh Jackson. And I think it's far more likely that those two end up in a fight than it does that they end up holding a Super Bowl trophy together. At GM McHugh, when will the FBI investigate the NFL and the Patriots organization for its alleged rigging? There was no rigging. The NFL does not want the Patriots to win another Super Bowl. The NFL, the league office, does not like the Patriots. And I don't mean that this is an issue between Roger Goodell and Robert Kraft. Farther down from Roger Goodell, There is an animosity toward the Patriots. It was manifested in Deflategate. And generally speaking, the NFL does not want the same teams in the Super Bowl every year. They want parity. Pete Rozelle hated the fact that the Steelers ran the NFL in the 70s. Salary cap and free agency was supposed to bring true parity to the NFL. The problem is the Patriots figured it out. The Patriots have the best coach in the history of organized sports. He's figured out how to crack the code. They're not rigging the games in favor of the Patriots. They're not rigging the games for anybody. And my explanation, look, I I think the NFL probably is happy that I'll come out and say there aren't riggings of games because they probably expect me to be crazy enough to buy into the tinfoil hat conspiracies. But the reason I think the NFL isn't rigging games is I think the NFL isn't competent enough to rig games. I think that any perceived flaws in officiating are far more likely due to incompetence than some sort of a plan that was hatched. Because I think they'd screw it up. And I think somebody would blab. And I think we'd find out about it. I just don't think they can pull it off. And I don't think they want to pull it off. And if they would want to pull it off, it would be letting the Jaguars win, not the Patriots. At Sean Alvashire, do you see any major sports league discontinuing the draft for rookie free agents instead? 
the signing process that I've been advocating. Sorry, Sean Alvashar, I butchered your question. Let me ask it again because I don't want to make it look like you poorly worded it. I just read it poorly. Do you see any major sports league discontinuing the draft for the rookie free agent signing process that you advocate? No, I don't. I don't. I think it's time has come. I think it makes sense. I think it's more fair to the players, but I don't see it ever happening, especially in the NFL. It's too big of a deal now in the NFL. The draft is too big of a deal. At C. Crawl, what did Marshawn Lynch do or not do that upset the coaching staff in Seattle that made them want to get rid of him? Well, look, I don't think it was any one thing. I just think it was the way Marshawn Lynch was. They got to the point where they had enough. They got to the point where he no longer was perceived to be good enough to put up with everything that went along with having Marshawn Lynch on your team. That's it in a nutshell. At Mikey Cobal, what no-name quarterback will the Patriots draft in round seven and turn him into a second-round draft pick? That's not going to happen. This year, I think they may they may use their first-round pick on a quarterback. I think this is the year. And this may have been part of the deal that was struck when they decided to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. We need to draft and develop a quarterback that we believe will end up being the successor to Tom Brady. And he will be the successor at some point during his four years slash five years if he's a first-round pick. At Jared Mack 86, who's the best fit to be the next Cardinals quarterback? That's a trick question. They first have to have an offensive coordinator. At C. Crawl, Alden Smith ever coming back? I don't think so. But you know what? I didn't think Daryl Washington was ever going to get reinstated, and he did, and then nobody signed him. Remember him, the Cardinals linebacker? He got reinstated last year, and nobody ever signed him. It's hard to come back. Josh Gordon made it back, and hopefully he can stay back. Hopefully the NFL will take a hard look at its policies regarding marijuana and off-field indiscretions that don't harm anyone. DUI is one thing. Driving under the influence of marijuana is one thing. I I think there should be punishments for that issued by an employer, especially a high-profile employer. But these other things, what guys do in the privacy of their own home if there's no victim involved, that, that... I got a big problem with Big Brother. And the NFL has that big shield, father knows best mentality far too often with players, and I don't like it. Tony Ricolo asks the likelihood of Daryl Bevel back with the Vikings. He's reportedly going to interview on Friday. We'll see. You know, I don't know how to feel about that from a Vikings perspective. Is that good? Is it bad? I don't know. He wasn't horrible with the Vikings. I mean, it's, it's easy to be good when you have Brett Favre. But, but what does this mean for who they get at quarterback? That's going to be the key question. At Sean Avashar, are you surprised the NFC opened up as 3.5 favorites in the Super in the Pro Bowl? Look, the fact that anybody would even bet on the Pro Bowl, if, if you are inclined to place a bet on the Pro Bowl, you really do need to call one of those 800 numbers. You, you really need to find something in life that gives you true enjoyment. If you have to resort to betting on the Pro Bowl to derive any sort of, of a dopamine rush, in your life. I'm serious. It's not, it's not, it's not a shtick or a, a bit or anything. If you feel compelled to bet on the Pro Bowl, you really do need help. I'm not joking. You need help. All right. I probably should go. We've been going for an hour. Yeah, I'm looking at some of these others. Let's just, let's just call it. Boy, that's really, I shouldn't I go out with a, with a bigger bang than that? Don't you like to go out on a high note? I don't know. Some days I do, sometimes I don't. We, we may have an addition of P. I, and I'm not. Why not? When the setup? I, I'm. I'm sure you were thinking that 
I was holding something back that was going to be the bang I go out with. Sometimes you just don't go out with a bang. I wasn't going to have a PFT PM on Thursday. We may have one because I may be interviewing Steve Wilkes, the new Cardinals head coach. So we'll just do a quick one like we did last week. We had the quick one with David Johnson. We may have a quick one with Steve Wilkes tomorrow. We'll have another one on Friday. Tentative guest for Friday, the legendary Al Michaels. I will try not to be Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney. Even though I know Al Michaels and I've known him for more than a decade now, I still get, you know, there's certain people that no matter how much you're around him and how much you talk to him, it's like, it's Al Michaels. I, I shouldn't be here. I had a paper route. I'm nobody. He shouldn't be talking to me. So, and the best part about it is he doesn't have that attitude. It makes me even more in awe of him. Why don't you be a jerk to me? You should be a jerk to me. I'll take it. We'll have a conversation with Al on Friday. Maybe Steve Wilkes tomorrow. Maybe. I I know that you won't be able to sleep now. You won't be able to get through your day on Thursday if you don't get your PFTPM fixed. We do appreciate your support. Again, if you've made it through this full hour and you're still listening, first of all, consider yourself a member of a select group. (laughs) There may be five of you, but I appreciate each of you. However many there are, if you're still listening, thank you. And we'll talk to you again soon. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.